This is Transistor.fm. Welcome back to the Product People Show. It is 2018, brand new year. Hope you had a great holiday. I'm back today with an interview with Josh Nielsen from Zencaster. You're really going to like this one, uh, especially because Josh is uh, very humble. He has all these comments like this. I, I, I mean, I, I think there are some good takeaways, but mm-hmm. I, re- I really do think like most of it is like, A, I got lucky, and B, I just kind of kept moving. So with honesty like that, you know it's going to be a good show. This show is sponsored by Mega Maker Club. This is my community for product entrepreneurs, developers, designers, anyone looking to launch their own thing. Megamaker.co slash club. We don't always have registration open, but it is open right now, just in time for you to kick things off for the new year. All right. Megamaker.co slash club club. It was previously Product People Club, but we changed the name. All right, let's get into this interview with Josh. I'm here with Josh Nielsen from Zencaster. How's it going, Josh? Hey, how's it going? And where, where are you calling from today? I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, the last time we talked, you were in Thailand. And I think that was, it, it was a couple years ago. And you had only been working on Zencaster for a little bit. Maybe just quickly describe what Zencaster is and who it's for. Yeah, Zencaster basically helps uh, podcasters record uh, their remote guests in studio quality. Um, it does this by doing what's called a double-ended recording where uh, you have everybody open up our web application and when you hit record, it records everybody locally on their end and then sends you each a, a separate solo track per guest uh, once you're done. Uh, and this is in contrast to what people uh, commonly do where they record with Skype, uh, which can be subject to having a VoIP artifacts and, uh, you know, inconsistencies in the quality throughout the call due to the network conditions. Yeah. And how did you come up with that idea in the first place? Like, how did you know that that was even something worth pursuing? Um, well, I was, I was, I was pursuing a different idea where I was trying to make a, um, digital audio workstation in the browser because they just come out with all these neat tools to play with audio in the browser and synthesize audio and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I just was starting to realize that A, it was really early for that idea, still is, and B, it was going to, was a huge amount of work. I was kind of just, it was half of a hot, it was a half of a toy idea that maybe I would turn into a business at some point. And I just realized that, you know, you need a team of people and uh, the platform needed to be much more mature for that to work. And then I had a, found out I was having a baby. And so I was like, okay, I need a quicker path to revenue on you know something that's simpler and uh anyway along that time i previously when i was working on an even earlier company someone had told me hey i don't know about what you're doing here but podcasters have this problem uh dealing with audio getting their audio something i didn't even really know what he meant i, yeah. and I, I didn't even really ask i didn't care at the time 
and because I was totally focused on what I was doing. But it kind of stuck in the back of my head. And when I was looking for a new idea, I was like, huh, I wonder what I can take that will use my, you know, this knowledge I've learned about this audio stuff in the browser and apply it to something a little bit different mm-hmm. um, that had a more kind of fixed scope, uh, or so I thought. Um, <laughs> and so I started, I just, I knew some people who had podcasts and I started asking them, hey, you know, is there a problem here? What's going on? And as I started to hear them explaining, you know, the problems that they had, I could see, you know, that this brand new technology, you know, would allow for a new solution that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, I could build that in a couple, you know, in a month. <laughs> and uh, so I started working on it. Six months later, I had a beta um, for people to try out. And yeah, it kind of went from there. So it took a little bit longer than you thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm probably years behind where I thought I would be right now at this point just because it's been such a crazy technical um, endeavor that has definitely put me in over my head a few times. And um, at the same time, you know, the browsers are still kind of shaping up how these APIs for doing the audio stuff works. And so things change every time they do a release. And so there's been a lot of uh, kind of adapting and... And it's kept me on my toes for sure. <laughs> and what year was that? That was 2014 when you started like talking to people and working on it? Yep, November 2014. Okay. And I just want to pause there because there's been this trend as I've talked to like more and more people. You started by kind of looking at this emerging technology in the browser and trying to build a business out of that. And then you realized that wasn't going to work. And it was in a human interaction that you'd had earlier that kind of ended up being the business idea. Do I, do I have that right? Yeah. I mean, I definitely came kind of full circle from uh, being, you know, trying to having a solution in search of a problem to then kind of hearing that what a real problem was and then adapting the solution to fit that, I think. Yeah. And it, it just seems like sometimes you know, especially people that are technical, we can really like be uh, enchanted with new technology or enchanted with a, maybe a technical challenge. Mm -hmm. But in your case, it was like running in to real human beings and these kind of almost like that was kind of a serendipitous moment. You know, that person reaching out to you and saying, Hey, I don't know what the heck you're working on, but this is, this is something I need. And I mean, it it totally was, it was actually at um, just to give even more context, the, the, the company that I was working on at the time was called Soundkeep, and we were trying to build like a GitHub for music. Mm-hmm. Um, and which we found out later, no one want, no one really want. <laughs> I mean, people kind of wanted, but in, not in the way that it, it, there's a couple companies that have kind of carried the torch in a way there, but the way we were doing it was not at all workable. And, uh, musicians are quite different about their, um, creations than programmers. Um, but anyway, so we, I was actually at a tech stars for a day, um, in San Antonio trying to pitch that company when one of the mentors there was like, Hey, I don't know, but Hey, what about this? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was totally kind of out of left field, but it came as a, a part of the process of, of digging down on that previous problem, even though it didn't end up being the right angle. It, um, you know, we wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have, I would have heard that otherwise if I hadn't been trying to do something. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's the like the question a lot of people have when they're getting started is like, where do ideas come from? And then as they're kind of growing their business, they're like, okay, well, where, and where does like the improvement in a business come from? And uh, and and also, I think part of the the lesson there, at least for me, was telling people about what you're doing is a lot mm-hmm. more valuable than trying to hide what you're doing. Yeah, because then people people want to you know people can collaborate with you easier if they know what's going on and so yeah and until like uh ai uh like until like ai robots start buying products you have to interact with real human beings because they're the ones that are ultimately going to be taking out their credit card right? right so that that like if you're just keeping it to yourself and not actually getting it in front of people even just the idea getting the idea in front of people um, like I, did you did you pitch soundscape to any musicians like did you try to get like see what their interest would be uh you know just talking to them and like what was their feedback well uh, i mean yes and no um we definitely didn't do enough of that uh, the idea kind of came out of, uh, we did the node knockout for like 2012 or 2011, I think. And we won the, the team prize for building this, uh, collaborative beat sequencer. Okay. Yeah. Which I think is still alive. If you go to like EBB dot sound, uh, uh, actually, I forgot. I'll have to, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> My EBB dot something coded.com. I think we'll load it up. Yeah. Um, it's real simple, but it was really, it's, it's a cool, real fun, like social experiment where people could make beats together live in real time. Yeah. And we were like, and you know, it was popular enough to win the, the contest and it's like a popularity, whatever. Yeah. So like, Oh, maybe there's something here. Maybe we've struck a chord or something. Um, and so that's kind of where we got the confidence to move forward with some sort of an idea around music collaboration online. Yeah. Um, but we didn't do nearly enough actually talking to like, you know, people about like pulling out their wallet and, you know, what would really be valuable enough and not just a toy and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and we, we came to find out that, yeah, it's fun to like do this jam thing together. But once musicians start actually like composing, they're very protective of their art and yeah a, a they don't necessarily want to collaborate with just anybody like the idea of just putting it out there and letting someone else mess with it was mm-hmm. really threatening to a lot of people yeah and you know the idea of like sharing it for free or like doing like a f- open source kind of an idea was not flying very well with, <laughs> with many of them either so you know uh, you know that's kind of how that went yeah and so you've decided to investigate this idea of doing, you know, this podcast app. Uh, when you started working on it and you thought it would take you a month, did you do any marketing? Like, did you put up a landing page? Did you do any sort of validation work? Or were you just heads down working on this thing for six months? You know, again, I didn't talk to, as you know, I didn't talk to like hundreds of people or even dozens, really. I talked to like, I had like, you know, five friends who are podcasters and because I thought I could build it pretty quickly, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, you know, these guys seem to think there's a thing there and I'll just build it and see what they think. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, again, I've, uh, uh, you know, I think maybe most 
uh, software developers have this problem of like vastly underestimating how long things will take. But yeah. um, that kind of let me blunder my way into it. Yeah. It was a bit of, you know, looking back on it, I was like, I basically got lucky that it worked. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was having fun. I didn't quit my normal job at that point. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I was doing contract development at the time, and so I just paired my hours back to like 20, 30 hours a week. And, uh, you know, if it had flopped, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Yeah. And did any of those initial friends of yours, did they any of, the, any of them become customers? Um, huh. Uh, like, no. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. Um, but what you know what it is is kind of like most of like one of them didn't isn't podcasting anymore um the other one was not like a host he was like a kind of like the co-host on the show yeah and so he wasn't the one that was really um his host i think um has has used the service i haven't checked recently yeah but the friends of theirs and that through that their podcasting network that they're associated with are definitely um, you, you know, paying users of the service and, but yeah, no, it's, it's kind of funny in that regard. Like most of the people that I've worked with closely on like getting a lot of feedback, even through the beta plan, um, that were really, really helpful and, you know, excited about the service aren't, um, paid users. I don't think right now, but part of that is p- podcasters churn a lot. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, you know, even if you're, even if the service you're providing for them is perfect, uh, you know, it, it's, it takes a lot of work to keep a podcast going and staying involved with it and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's one challenge to the business, I suppose. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is it's always interesting to hear like who people thought would be their customers and who ended up being their customers. Yeah. I mean, another thing is I have a very liberal free plan, um, too liberal actually. We're probably going to have to, t- to rein that in a little bit at some point. And so, so people um, need to get in now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, that, that's part of it. There's a lot of people that are even like using it for you know business purposes that are happy with the free plan, and that's okay for now because I, I want to uh, initially I want to try and offer some more follow-on services to bring the to bring those people into paid plans, and I've got some ideas about in the future how to monetize um, the free users as well. So I'm not super as long as I can cover my costs and keep some growth going. I'm not super um, worried about getting every last dollar out of it right now. Mm-hmm. So, And so I, I want to k- kind of go back to something you said too. Uh, you mentioned briefly that you felt like you got lucky uh, in a way. What were, what do you mean by that? Like what was the, what role did luck play? Um, I think one of the, I was just in the right place at the right time for instance like right when this technology was shaping up i kind of caught wind of this idea this idea of doing a double-ended podcast recording has existed since well before podcasting it's a radio technique Mm -hmm. they 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 used to um radio stations i mean i think they, they still do this they have sister stations in like other parts of the country or the world where if they want to record two people talking they'll have them one person come into the studio over there and then this person do it here so they can get a good studio quality recording of each person, um, you know, for, la- you know, for, for later. So, cause most of them are not live. Like it sounds like on the radio. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, and and so so this is an existing idea. And even when I launched um, the the beta for ZenCaster, there was even since podcasting was kind of heating up, right? Well, that's nothing I got lucky about, right? So from when I started till when I launched the beta, like Serial came out and a bunch of these, you know, this big uh, kind of resurgence and interest. But like there was a company called PodClear and they were building, they were trying to capitalize on this new resurgence and interest and they built uh, desktop applications that do this. But you got all that, you got all this friction about how to get them to install it and all this stuff. And, um, it was kind of funny because I, uh, and I, I've I've since like you know met these guys, great people, and I would have done the same thing in their situation. But when I launched the beta, um, you know, within a week they announced that they were going to be working on a web version because it was just, <laughs> it was like you know this is obviously where this tech is going, yeah. and uh, so, and they ended up getting bought and then by Blab actually. Interesting. So, Wow. And and so like you were working on this November 2014. So obviously you didn't make any revenue on this in 2014. Um 2015 rolls around, so you launch in like April, is that right? Uh like May 2015, yeah. Okay, May 2015. And so um did you launch to paying customers? What was the the launch like? No, I ran it in beta in a free beta forever, and I sh- probably shouldn't have done that. Um, I made probably things a lot harder on myself than I had to, but um, you know, it's tough because like people don't care if your podcast recording software works like eighty percent. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, <laughs> like stability and reliability is a huge part of it, and you know, when I started building it, I didn't realize at the time it actually wasn't possible to do. <laughs> and like it became possible as I was building it. Yeah. And so I've been really riding the bleeding edge of the technology. And I mean, there's still some, uh, you know, there's still some things that need like issues and problems that can happen in recordings, like with audio drift and things like that, that, um, I, you know, the browsers aren't, you know, they're going to be fixing it, but it's not there yet. And yeah. we're just going to have to kind of work through it until then. So, so it ended up being a lot tougher than you thought, um, and you launched in May. And uh, do you remember how many people you launched to? Like, who did you launch to? Did you have a waiting list, or was it just you just send it out to? A few no, friends? I had no, I had no waiting list. I sent it out to some friends. Uh, nobody knew, nobody cared. Um, I, you know, in the early like, I don't know if there's a way to go back to this, but if you go back to like the early early days of the Twitter or of like people tweeting at me. Yeah. Like it was, it was like, it was really rough. (laughs) Like they were like, I remember when someone tweeted me, they're like, you need to wrap caution tape around this thing. Like (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm trying my best here. It is beta. We're testing, you know, but you know, as soon as it's available, uh, you know, there are some people that the beta thing scared off, but yeah. Um, that's one thing to keep in mind is people, I don't know, it doesn't register with a lot of people that like beta meant like experimental testing mode. Yeah. And um, so the pressure was on pretty early to like get get it solid and reliable. Um, but yeah, it was, I really didn't, nobody was really using it initially 
or knew about it. I didn't launch to a big audience. But what I did do is I just went on Twitter and started searching for like people who were swearing at Skype about the audio quality on their podcast. Nice, yeah. And so like expletive Skype or, you know, whatever podcast. And, you know, so I would just, I just sit on Twitter every day and had searches for those things. And then I would just tweet to them. And I had a decent amount of success just at least getting people to try it because mm-hmm. the problem was real. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in like countries like Australia or in South America where the internet is a lot less reliable. Yeah. Um, it was a major pain point for, for those people. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of how I got the initial, you know, thing rolling. Yeah, just reaching out but, to people directly. Yeah, after about – I didn't I only did that for maybe the first – few you know a couple hundred couple hundred somebody product hunted it kind of early on mm-hmm. in that time period and that took me to about a thousand i think yeah july Registered. july 12th 2015 yeah and so that was a little a good little boost nothing huge but you know going from 200 to a thousand was nice and then um Luckily, I mean, podcast, you know, the other thing is podcasting is just kind of, and podcasters are just social anyway. They've all got Twitter accounts. They're all on Facebook. They're talking about it in their show. They're having other podcasters on their show. So it's kind of naturally viral in that regard. So I haven't really had to do, um, so far I haven't done any real marketing. It's all been kind of organic word of mouth. And I think right now we're at something like 30,000 registered users or something like that. Wow. Wow. So you... So you launch and you get a couple hundred users just kind of like you <laughs> working working Twitter and everything. And then July you get up to 1000 and since then you've grown to 33,000. So some some something like that, yeah. And when did you like when was the first time you got paid? Like when was the first time you had a something people could could pay for? Um, it wasn't until last November. So November, 2016. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, which I think is like, you know, I think most people like probably laugh behind their backs at me about that. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I just, I wanted it to be ready and I wouldn't have even launched it then except for at some point, um, TechCrunch wanted to do an article on it, and they're like, "Do you have anything un- coming up that we can like do the article about?" And I was like, "I yeah. guess we could. La- I guess I might as well launch." <laughs> and so we set a date, and man, I like. Anyway, I wasn't really. It, I had to work through. You know, I had to miss several nights of sleep just to get the thing ready for that. Um, yeah, TechCrunch launch, and the the article ended up being terrible. I'll probably never work with TechCrunch again. Oh, but, really? Did yeah, it, but, did it did it end up bringing in any users? So yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So November thirteenth, two thousand sixteen. Uh, yeah, did it end up helping you at all, no, or not really? Not really. I mean, they launched the, the the thing was is I needed to launch on a you know on like a, a slow day because I already had a decent amount of users, so I had to do it on like a Sunday or like a Saturday night, Sunday morning. And they wanted to do the article right then, and so it was. It was they post the article at a bad time. TechCrunch readers are not necessarily like my target. Yeah, I don't know if I thought about that much at the time. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, they didn't ask, really ask me very, you know, they didn't do very good research. Yeah. <laughs> and they used my, I gave them a bunch of new artwork. I just re- redesigned the site. They used the old stuff. Um, so anyway, it, that, but the thing is, is like, that's interesting. I just want to kind of stick there for a while just because I know for some people that would be the Holy grail. It's like, Oh, if I could only get on TechCrunch, then everything is going to be okay. Like I'll get thousands of users and that's basically the only thing stopping me from being successful is getting on TechCrunch. But I've, I've heard other people have similar stories. Like it's not... <laughs> It's not that. I mean, at least for me, I it was. I don't think you'd even necessarily notice in my, you know, maybe I had my page visits were a little higher that day or something. It wasn't substantial increase in my signups or anything like that. Would you Um, say that uh, product hunt was better for you? Um, yeah, probably. I'd have to look, but I mean, definitely at the time, product hunt made a bigger dent Mm -hmm. in my over in like like I don't know percentage wise. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you decide to launch November 2016. Do you remember, like, who was the first person to pay you? Um, or the first? Is there? Any I know those? who. I know who it is. I don't. I. I probably can't. Like, you know, I don't know if they've revealed that they use Zencaster in public or not. So okay, but was it? I, it was. It was a beta user that was already. Yeah, on. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was somebody who's who was had used the service for a long time. I've I've got a lot of users who have been through been with it for since early beta days so um you know there's some of them stuck around yeah yeah some of them like i think something like the first month let me just look real quick Uh, it was like eight eight or twelve i think i was did twelve thousand dollars in revenue the first month wow See that's pretty crazy. You know, maybe people made fun. But I had I had been building up for a long time. Like yeah. I, you know, so I had a, at that point I don't remember, but it was something like at least ten thousand people in the in the in the, the registered users. Yeah. And you know, so I had at least that many people who I could just blast it out to. Yeah, I mean, you we were just you were just saying some people kind of made fun of you for waiting so long to launch paid plans, but there's not very many SaaS apps that launch into, you know, that into five digits even, right? Like that, that doesn't, usually you start really low, a couple hundred, and then the next month you do more and the next month you do more. And that's why they call it the long, slow SaaS ramp of death, right? It it takes a long time. Yeah. I mean, I still feel like I'm on that ramp. I just, I just popped the clutch of it, I guess. Yeah. And uh, uh, so but you know, I, it was, it definitely was stressful not having that revenue for a long time. I had to admit, I mean, the reason why I did it that way is because I didn't want to, you know, the re- one of the reasons why my previous attempts didn't work is we quit our jobs and ran out of money mm-hmm. and I didn't want to have a limited amount of runway. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that meant that I had to, couldn't devote all my time to it and it took a lot longer to get to where I wanted to be. But, um, you know, it, you know, once I was able to, I'd already built up enough users to, but you know, I didn't know. I was still praying at that point. Yeah. Like, okay, I hope that, because at at that point, I think two months before that, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. I'm close enough to launch. Um, I'm out of money. But so I, I think I took out like 20 grand. I applied for like five credit cards at once. So they wouldn't, so they wouldn't see each other. Like they wouldn't register. So I could get, and then, 
so I got like 20 grand in credit to quit, quit working and then spent that two months launching. And then at that point I was like, okay, I either can, um, either this is going to work or I'm probably gonna have to go get a job. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's pretty good. So how many users did that represent? Like you had 10,000 registered users. How many ended up converting that, that month? Um, you know, uh, I think I told you this before the call. I'm not that great at like tracking things and knowing things yeah. <laughs> about the business. I, um, cause it wasn't it like so 20 I, bucks. It, cause the TechCrunch article says it was 20 bucks initially per month. Right. Yeah. It's always been 20. I mean, the first person, the, the first guy that I asked about this, that who was a podcaster, um, you know, I asked him, like, hey, how much would you pay? He said, 20 bucks a month. I was yeah. like, okay. So that was kind of <laughs> where my pricing came from. Yeah. Uh, so that's like, he's, he's, a, he's a, um, an advisor in the uh, company now. But. Cool. So that's like 600 paying users your first month. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was hoping that it would get at least enough to cover, you know, I was, I think, you know, I was like, if I can get, you know, six or seven grand a month out of this, then I was like four or five. I was like, I could probably make work. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, so, yeah. So, so great. Yeah. Great first month. And so how did it grow from there? You, you'd launched, you've probably still have some headaches around the, the product. Like maybe talk a little bit about that. Cause a lot of folks just kind of lead up to launch day and then they're like, okay, you know, they think it's going to be smooth sailing, but do you remember any of the struggles you had back then right after you launched? Um, well, one of the big problems that I, and one of the things that I'd probably try and figure out how to handle better next time, if they, you know, if there's a next time mm-hmm. would be, um, I, I, I really underestimated the gravity of like support requests it was totally feasible for me to like spend every day just talking to people and not actually making progress on the code base. Yeah. Um, cause yeah. when you have a product that's like almost what people need, but yeah. not quite there, they're going to be talking to you all the time. And, uh, you know, that can be really overwhelming, especially if you're not charging anything. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, there definitely were weeks that went by that, I was just handling support requests and doing my my contracting and not making progress on the company. Yeah, uh, partially because I just burn out and and just you know. So how, how, did you, how to how did you get out of that? I don't know that I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, now I have now I have help. I have I have you know customer support reps that help me you know field most of the stuff, but you know, they're not like developers. And so a lot of the stuff, you know, if it's a bug, it's hard for them to logically reason about what might be causing it if they're not familiar with the inner workings of it. So a lot of it, I still do have to handle myself. Um, but you know, it is getting, and for the first, I mean, it wasn't until a couple months ago that I took my personal email off of all of our, um, like, transactional emails that went out. Yeah. Um, which I still feel kind of bad about, but it just got to be too much. Um, having those come directly to my inbox. So, uh, now those go to the support, support tickets. 
Yeah. Now, and if we kind of plot your growth, because that was a year ago, right? That's November 2016. And now mm-hmm. it's November yeah, 2017. Is- what, where are you at now? You said 33,000 registered users. What are you doing in MRR now? So there's about, there's about 30,000 registered users. The MRR is around 33,000. Um, the actual net is maybe 5,000 more than that because the, you know, people sign up for yearly plans or I also have some other revenue that's not recurring. Like, um, free users can buy like, uh, a la carte post-production credits and things like that. Okay. Gotcha. So, and how many paying users do you, do you have an idea of that? Like, yeah. Me... I guess we could do the math on that. Just even 1500 ish, something like that. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, that kind I can of give you a real number if I, um, Let's see, get my metrics. So, so about seventeen hundred paying customers right now. Cool. Yeah. So you you've basically been able to double the number of paying users and the amount of monthly recurring revenue in a year. What what have you been doing uh, to make that happen? Like, has it just been organic? People are just sharing and telling other people about it. Yeah, I've just been keeping my head above water, really. Um, I think there's actually a lot of headroom as far as like, um, if I wanted to like really crank up the volume on the marketing and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I still haven't done a lot of stuff that, you know, I did, I, I did some consulting with you or Mm -hmm. you with me a while back around, you know, just how to like fix my user flow and AB test the, the login page and stuff. And I still haven't even had time to do that. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot. I think I think I could really, you know, make you know pump it up a little bit more if I had time to focus on it. But uh, you know, I'm at kind of this place where I'm trying to figure out how to grow the company in a way that keeps it fun. Um, because like my goals going into this were I want to be economically, you know, financially independent. I want to be uh, geographically independent. So I want to be able to, you know, my wife is from, her family's from New Zealand. She's always dragging me over there and, <laughs> I, and I want to be able to like work from cool places and I kind of have to sometimes. Uh, and then the other thing is I wanted to be decision-making independent. Um, and I, so I didn't want like, you know, investor, you know, I don't, I, I, I hated the dynamic of like trying to get investors to like believe in you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you just feel like you're trying to impress these people and you don't know what they want. And you know, and you feel like you end up catering to the investor rather than the, the user. And so I was like, I don't want, you know, at least initially I wanted to like get bootstrapped to pop profitability without that. And then, um, you know, I, co-founders also can be tricky. You know, if, if you're not all on the same page, you can kind of compromise, everything into, you know, a subpar product or, you know, and so I wanted to be able to kind of be, you know, if I say that this is the way it is then this is the way it is for better or worse, just to cut out the, you know, mm-hmm. the time spent deliberating and compromising on things. Yeah. So that, with that said, my, you know, now I'm reaching this point where it's like, okay, well you probably need to have like an office and a bunch of people where, you know, working and helping you. And, you know, you might want to try and raise some money to dump into marketing and to be able to hire a CTO so you can focus on, you know, and all this stuff. And so 
um, or to hire a CMO and yeah. trying to figure out what, you know, what do I really want out of it? Cause it, it takes a long life of its own. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't really grab it by the horns and say, this is what I want this to be, it'll become something and it may not be what, cause I, you know, I kind of created this. So I didn't have to have a real job and it, can you, it's, <laughs> you know, the, the other thing that I thought I wanted, well, I still want this, but that I thought was possible is like, I wanted to work like 10 hours a week. Yeah. On something. Um, I did not pick the right product for that. <laughs> how, how much do you think you're working? All, all hours a week. <laughs> I <laughs> like mean, I, there's never there, there's never time that I don't have stuff to do. I mean, here's another problem with me and growing the company is I'm a very like I'm great at like for three months I can work, you know, 15, 20 hours a day. But then I need like a month of like really slow, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's how I get the stuff done is like, you know, kind of like a, I don't know, manic and then what, what's the other one? Manic, depressive kind of a thing. <laughs> maybe I've got, maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. But like I work really great in like spurts. Yeah. But it, what it requires now is like steadiness and consistency. And that's not what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, trying to navigate that. So to answer your question, um, you know, sometimes like when we had when we we just did a big launch to move away away from using Dropbox to our own cloud storage, and uh, we had a, a solid deadline on that because Dropbox was turning off their API. Okay. Uh, and like I didn't sleep for like four days straight wow. working on that. So that was like the most I've ever worked on it. Yeah. Um, but then you know, and then there's sometimes when I just kind of go into maintenance mode and, you know, I'm not programming much and just trying to keep, you know, handle any support requests that can't be handled without me. And, um, you know, and sometimes those, but I've never, never 10 hours a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that part of the dream didn't come alive. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, th- th- this is an interesting point for you. Like you've, you've kind of got to the point now where it's, it's profitable, where it's growing organically really well but yeah if you're going to get to the next stage you have to make some decisions right like are you going to hire like a bunch of full-time staff are you going to have an office and then then you also have to figure out what your role is going to be in the midst of all that right yeah i've been thinking a lot about that recently um i mean i think i in my perfect scenario what i would be doing is building out new pro new features and products Mm -hmm. that's what i like doing is breaking new ground with the and programming most of the time yeah um so you know we want to start offering hosting plans soon i'd love to just lock myself in a room for a few weeks and make the build that and not have to worry about anything else yeah um but you know one of the things i've learned is you can't really hire people or at least it's very hard. I haven't figured out how to hire people to do th- something that you don't know how to do. Hmm, um, interesting. To to bring someone on to just it, you can bring someone on to do something for you, but you're not going to get out of having to deal with that yourself, mm-hmm. at least initially, and without having a lot of trust with this person as well. Yeah. Um. Because you know, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe other people have found the, the magic bullet there, but. 
it seems it tends to be that I have to dig in and learn how to do it myself, and then I know what, exactly what I need and who I should hire and how what how I should ex- what, sh- what I should expect from them. Yeah, and, and then I maybe can kind of back off from there. But yeah, I think that's a pretty common obstacle. Is the and there's even some wisdom in that of not hiring uh, anyone for a role that you haven't done yourself, at least a little bit, so you, you have some sort of sense of what is this what's actually involved in this and you know uh and even what how how would you know they're doing a good job <laughs> if yeah because the best the best feeling is when you hire someone and then they come along and they are clearly better than you were but unless mm-hmm. you have that baseline of knowing okay <laughs> yeah you yeah you might not know how good they are they, yeah. you might not know how bad or how good they are if you don't know have any kind of a baseline like you said exactly yeah so that that's one obstacle you've got, you know, for this coming year, it sounds like, is figuring out how to hire, who to hire next, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, what, figuring out how to delegate portions of the business out that in ways that free me up to do what I'm good at and also don't cut me completely out of the loop of my business. I mean, like, this is the point where, you know, it would be nice to have a co-founder who could mm-hmm. be like, okay, you please be the CEO, include me in any major decisions and let me just build. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now it gets very complicated if you want to like bring in, uh, you know, some sort of a high powered CMO or CEO to kind of push you to the next level. Cause a, they're going to either be very, they're going to be very expensive either cash wise or equity wise or probably both. Yeah. And um, you know, it, it, it's hard to figure out. Like I've been working at this for, you know, what, for almost four years. And how do you value that? And how yeah. do you value the new contribution? And how do you come to like a, a meeting of the minds from both sides? And yeah. then how do you test that and make sure you don't jump into the water too soon without, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's tricky. Yeah, totally. And and do you think, because it, it sounds like, well, we touched on this a little bit, but like in terms of what you're planning on improving in your business this year, and one thing you mentioned was new features and new products. Is there anything else that you'd like to get out of the business this year that, um, you know, that you've thought about? Like, oh yeah, 2018 would be great if we, you know, grew to this many users or we were able to implement this or I was able to, you know, cut myself out of customer support. Have you, what kinds of, uh, improvements are you looking for in 2018? Um, you know, I don't have my revenue goals. Aren't that, I don't know if my goals are typically based around revenue. Maybe they should be. I think, you know, I think, I think in the next, I think over the next 12 months, it, it wouldn't be crazy to to get to like a million ARR or something like that. Um, with, you know, but I'd need some, probably need some help with that. But the, what I'd like, I mean, the things that get me excited mm-hmm. is like, I mean, A, I want to be able to pay for, you know, I want to be able to have enough money to travel. Someday I'd like to be able to buy first class tickets when I travel. That's the, that's what I want money for. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, like, I just get excited about building stuff. It's really cool to be in a space where um, the field is kind of 
uh, wide open because this technology wasn't didn't exist before. And so um, there's all kinds of new cool stuff that could be built. There's a bunch of new features. Like, I mean, hosting plans are kind of a obvious thing for the future of Zencaster. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of stuff about uh, you know matching people with advertisers. Um, you know, but adding video support. Um, being able to then bring in some of those ideas that I was originally working on with the audio workstation. So you could do some of your audio editing in Zencaster. Yeah. Um, uh, let's, let's see what else is kind of, I I don't know, like, uh, just making it more of like a one-stop shop right now. Podcasting is very like spread out across lots of different services. It's really hard for a new podcaster because they're like, well, yeah, we'll help you record. But then if you need hosting, you got to talk to these guys and then they're going to help you probably publish this RSS feed. And that's going to go to iTunes. And then you got all these, like are you going to be on Spotify or SoundCloud, you know, there's all this, like this big network of services you have to kind of know about and be aware of. And I think consolidating that is Mm going to, is happening. And, um, will continue to happen and so just figuring out ways to do that uh like making the soundboard in zencaster i I really like the idea of like instead of doing a bunch of editing and post-production making it so that you can drop in your intros and outros and whatever sounds and things during the call yeah just on the fly on the fly and so more of like a live radio kind of thing live streaming like yeah did you did you ever use blab yeah yeah, so Blab was so cool. I yeah. can't like it. it sh- I was so stunned when they closed the doors because, like it, like I actually kind of get chills now thinking about the experience that they created. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I w- I think if I had time to just build stuff, I you know I might start working in that direction because I think it's a shame that that experience is gone. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like, because you're clearly really, you get really excited about the product side of it. Um, what, what about, like, is, is that some of that is just your own interest, but some of that it sounds like is coming from customers. Like, how have you stayed in touch with your customers? Has that just been, you know, doing customer support for so long? And when you're thinking about those things, are you thinking about specific customers that are like, wanting those things or is it more like oh i, I just want to build that stuff yeah uh, all of the above i think i mean it's definitely a rush when you see somebody tweeting like oh wow this is the coolest new thing i've ever you know mm-hmm. on twitter like that's great yeah. it also is a real downer when someone says something bad but yeah um so I get a good, you know, I've, I've had to rely heavily on users because, I mean, we didn't really talk about this, but I wasn't a podcaster. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm now recording a podcast. I haven't never had time to launch it because I've been so busy just like <laughs> keeping the thing running. But you know, um, I, I've had to rely very heavily on user feedback to know what what's needed. Yeah. Luckily, it's I, that hasn't been a problem. I get more feedback than I can handle, really. Yeah. But maybe sorting through it and figuring out what's the really important pieces are. But you know, some of them are just obvious when you're getting, you know, every other person is asking you for like a mobile app. You're like, okay, well maybe I should have a mobile app. Um, do you have so, a mobile app right now? Or that's I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, I'd love to, yeah. but that's another thing. It's like, I just don't have the, I just don't have the momentum for it right now. Like yeah. we, it, it would be a whole separate code base. 
I'd need at least one full-time dedicated person on that. And it's not something that would go away. You can't just build it. Like there's so many people that want to offer you a service or they're like, we'll charge you $80,000 and we'll build this app for you. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not, you mean you might, yeah, yeah, it's not like that just is going to be done after that. So, um, it's more than just paying for an app. You have to build a team for that. And, um, it's easily one of the most highly requested features, but it, it's just not the right move right now. But next year, you know. Yeah, that, that might be something else you add to your roadmap. Yeah. Is is there like a a certain customer type that's emerged? Like you started just talking to your friends, but then, you know, you actually had people coming out of the woodwork to pay for this. Is there a certain type of person that buys Zencaster? Um, that's a good question. Again, I don't know enough about the broad demographics, I think, as I should. But, um, you know, one thing I've learned is that there are definitely different categories of users. Like, you've got the kind of the brand new, um, well, there's there's broad there's a big span as far as like experience level mm-hmm. people that don't know anything about audio or technology or podcasting and they just have of what they want to say something yeah um, and this is how they want to do it all the way back to people who've been podcasting since the day one and they've got twenty thousand dollars studio at home and um, so that's across the you know that's there's the spectrum that, yeah that's the spectrum there and then um, but you've also got like as far as like, I guess you could think of it as like business mindedness, mm-hmm. you know, some of these are, a lot of these are like college kids playing League of legends and want to just want to talk about like the latest hero that became available, you know, or <laughs> whatever. And yeah. that's why I always want to keep a free plan. Cause I love facilitating that. And yeah. I think, um, that's great. Yeah. The, the hard part is, is those ones typically want to have, those are the, also the people that want to have like five people and all their friends. Yeah. And, so try figuring out how to have the free plans be more permissive in that way, but still, you know, finding ways to keep business users. Um, anyway, I'm rambling there, but yeah, it goes on, it goes on to like, uh, you know, then you've got, I think the people who are doing well you know, or who are actually like making money podcasting are people who have a side business or a side product and the, the podcast is the funnel for them. Gotcha. And then you do have that top tier of people who've got, you know, hundreds of, thousands or millions of listeners who just run ads and that's their thing. But mm-hmm. most, I would say that's rare, very rare. Yeah. So you'd say most of the people paying for Zencaster are folks that, you know, they have some sort of product or service and they're using the podcast as marketing. Yeah. Mark, people, people are using it as a marketing channel. It's, it, sure. it's interesting because I think when people are dreaming up ideas, like, if I was dreaming up a podcast app, I'd be like, oh, you know, it'd probably be, I think of a lot of hobby podcasters or, you know, people talking about their favorite board games or their favorite video games. And then maybe I can think of really popular podcasters that make lots of money in uh, ad revenue. But for you, like the customers that have emerged are kind of these, these, these business people that are, this is just like another way for them to communicate to their customers right yeah uh i'm seeing more and more that like a podcast is just kind of becoming another 
facet of like your marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, you're going to need to blog. You're going to have maybe do yeah, your SEO stuff. Let's get a podcast going. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like one of those boxes to tick. And that's why it's really important that it's super easy Yeah. because it's not like their sole purpose. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot for a lot of them, it's like the, the way it's being sold to them is like, Hey, you want to have blog posts, but those are kind of hard to create and do well and they take time. But if you just have 45 minutes, you know, like a lot of it, a lot of what's happening is like producers are getting clients and then telling them, Hey, give me 45 minutes of your time. We'll meet you at Zencaster. I'll schedule it. You come in, they'll come in. I'll be there. We'll record. I'll yeah. edit it for you. Bam. So it's really just like, um, you know, uh, they, they, so in a lot of time, in, in a lot of cases, the the host is not even pressing record. Like, yeah. It's these other folks. And yeah. it, it's so interesting. Like you would have never been able to guess that back in, uh, now I'm going back again, back in November, 2014, you'd have never been able to guess that those would have been your paying users really. Right. Cause you, you didn't have the information. Yeah, I had no idea. Like, I had no idea about the business or economics of podcasting or like any of it. I just, it was really just kind of like on a whim because this guy told me he'd pay me twenty bucks a month. <laughs> you know, and and maybe we'll end on this. I make and make this the last question, but kind of along those lines, what do you think aspiring product people get wrong about you know building products? What what mistakes are they making early on or? What kind of wrong thinking do they have? Um, I, I think trying to get trying to get. I think the information gathering phase can take too long. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people just read books and books and books about business and mm-hmm. don't ever actually get started. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the so put something out like even if it in your case if you hadn't been working on soundscape. Sound, sound keep, sound keep is what it was. Sorry, sound keep. Um, mm. You would have never met that guy at TechStars. You would have never heard that thing. It was the process of making things and putting it out. That yeah, you got to put your neck out there, and even go, heading in the complete wrong direction is going to be faster. Can I think in a lot of cases than trying to read books about what you should do <laughs> forever? You know. Yeah. Um, the the other thing is like I depending on what your business is. But it, it was really struck me how how um, useful Twitter is, and even though people like um, get get down on Twitter's business model or whatever, I own t- stock in Twitter because of this. I'm like, yeah, it was so important, you know, for for me to be able to access those people. Like in the future, I probably if I was having like a consumer facing product at all, mm-hmm. I I would probably not do anything unless I could find dozens, if not hundreds of people complaining about this problem on Twitter. Cause that's what people do on Twitter is they complain. Yeah. And if they're not complaining on Twitter, then maybe there's not a problem. Yeah. That's a great, that's great. I think we'll end it there. Josh, thanks so much, man. Uh, yeah. Folks that, are, folks that are interested in Zencaster can go to the website. It's Z or Z. E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com. And uh, Josh is on the web at Josh on the web. Uh, sorry, he's on Twitter at Josh on the web. And then there's also a Zencaster Twitter handle. Anything else people should know about? Um, no, I think we covered it in depth. Perfect. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Yeah.
All right, so that is episode 91. You can go to productpeople.tv slash 91 and get all of the show notes. Thanks again to Josh. And uh, go to megamaker.co slash club. Go to for the Product People Club. That's now called Megamaker Club. And go to uh, megamaker.co slash profit if you want me to email you all of these case studies, including one from Brennan Dunn, Nick DeSabato, lots of more coming up in 2018 and I will see you next time. I, I, I mean, I, I think there are some good takeaways, but mm-hmm. I really, I really do think like most of it is like, a, I got lucky and B, I just kind of kept moving, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah, but there's some key things like I think, uh, t- Twitter giving you access to what people are complaining about is an interesting insight because um, often people will try to pull it out of folks like, hey, what are you struggling with? Or, um, and I, that, whenever I get that question, it's usually they're asking me at the wrong time. Like mm. if, if someone emails me and goes, hey, I really want to know what you're struggling with, I might, I might not be struggling with anything at that moment. But if you look you know, on my Twitter feed, I've probably complained about dozens of things um, you know, along the way. Or if you were working in my office here with me, you might be able to observe me like swearing or getting frustrated with something. Then you can see it. But, you know, just like emailing someone in the blue and going, hey, so what are you struggling with right now? I've nothing. Yeah, I, you know? I, I agree because I get emails like that too where, um, you know, especially like it'll be existing services that I use. And they're like, what's your biggest pain point? Because they're trying to build out new products. I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. Yeah. But the, the, yeah, yeah, like, I bet you could even like if you just search Twitter for like fuck yeah and just and just browse for a good while you'd start to see like them complaining about something that maybe you had you had an interest in and yeah. then you could like go from there but. totally I've I've often searched um, so frustrated with and yeah like, there you go if you like search that it's like number one is like so frustrated with Sprint right now. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.